Let's give it up for this week's finalists. The winner this week is Giant Buck Knife, all right? And this is Ryan and Katie McGuire. So that is the winner of the week. Did anyone else notice how close Jordan came to the other Jordan's face? Anybody notice that? Like, you know, his little knife wielding, we need to work on that, okay? He's like, hey, did you see that? Oh, and like, he didn't know who John Wayne was? What's wrong with this generation, all right? Here, take this. Let's give it up for our winner. The McGuire's. So if you would, if you brought yours today, you put it out there in front of the tacky tree. If not, you can bring it next week. Um, if you want to bring it tomorrow, we film on Tuesdays. You just will have to make sure that you make arrangements uh, with the staff in order to do that. But you can bring uh, one white elephant gift from your house each week. And winners just based solely on creativity. Um, we thought with 2020, Having gone the way that it has, we wanted to just have some fun because we all need a little bit of fun in our lives to close out this terrible year. Is everybody ready for 2020 to be over? Say amen. Raise your hand. Put your hands together. Let's just oh, get it out. And so um, we wanted to do a series called The Gift Exchange. There's so many gift exchanges that occur in the Bible, and really every week that you walk into God's house, and every day that you open up God's word, there is an opportunity for an exchange to take place. And today we're gonna to be considering some, some rather large questions. There's a woman that is going to be at a well and she is very thirsty. But the thing that she thinks she's thirsting for isn't the thing that she's really thirsting for and Jesus is going to unravel how do we satisfy the deepest thirst that we have? How do we satisfy our soul thirst that we have? The thirst for meaning, the thirst for purpose. If I was going to title this morning's message, it would be peace for pain. That God is willing to exchange with us peace for the pain that we carry, for the pain that might be defining us. And so I hope today that if you walked in here and you have any pain that you might Pay attention because today's message is really going to help us think about it from a spiritual and a psychological level how we can deal with that. You know, whenever we're thinking about the big questions in life, I think what we'll find is the answer in the story that we read is that there's always something that we're bringing. In the story today, we're going to find in just a moment that this, this woman brought this water pot out to this well and she had to come out there every day to get water in order to satisfy her daily thirst and that we all bring something with us every week. We all have things that we're holding on to and we're putting our trust in these things that we're going to realize today can never satisfy the greater need of our soul. And so today I will tell you, punchline that's coming at the end of the sermon, that there's probably something that you're going to have to wrestle with that you're gonna to have to decide, are you willing to lay down what you're holding on to in order to pick up the life that God has for you? And it's, it's kind of a weird thing that we find in the Bible that, that sometimes people chose to hold on to this rather than have the life that Jesus offered them. Man, that just breaks my heart whenever people are presented with the question, and the answer, 
and they choose to hold on to the things of this world rather than grab a hold of God and God's best for their life. Man, I hope today that if you have anything that you brought with you that is an anchor that is weighing you down, that you might wrestle with that today and that we might help you come to a conclusion that only you can make is if you want the life that God has, there's probably one thing, maybe multiple things that you have to lay down in order to receive it. And so it says in John chapter 4 that Jesus was traveling from Judea to Galilee and there was this place called Samaria that was kind of no man's land that proper Jewish people would not interact with the Samaritans. But Jesus says that he had to go through Samaria. And what's amazing is, is that God has a way of getting the truth to people that are looking that don't even know they're looking. And so he has an appointment, a divine appointment in Samaria. And so he came to this town of Samaria called Sychar near a plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Now this is not the sermon, but sometimes I give my people free sermons, okay? These are not the ones we charge you for at the end during the offering. These are free sermons, okay? Um, and so the, the Bible nerd in me likes to deconstruct everything. And, and I, I just wanted to just pause here before we get to the, the first point and, and say, did you notice it says that Jesus got tired? Did, did anybody else see that? Now, if you're just casually reading that, it means nothing to you. But I just want you to go a little further than that, just a little bit further. And, and think about that for a moment. Before Jesus became little baby Jesus, like Ricky Bobby there in his gold fleece diapers in that manger scene. You know, before he was baby Jesus, he was God. And when he was God, he was omnipotent. That means like he never got tired. He didn't, he like made everything. And on the sixth day, it says he rested, not because he was tired. It was showing us that we needed to be able to take a day, a week where we rest. And so he's omnipotent. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't get hungry. All, none of those things are facets that he experiences in life. And yet when he became human, it shows that he can experience humanity like us and that he felt what we feel. He felt pain. He felt temptation. He felt sorrow. And so here he feels hunger and he's, and he's tired. And I thought, I bet everyone in here can relate to feeling tired in 2020. And the church said, amen. Yes. Some of you are tired right now, aren't you? You're like, ah, oh, Tim. I got a holiday hangover, Thanksgiving, so much turkey, so much everything, and you're just trying to recover. You know you just gluttoned it up, and you gotta, you got to ask forgiveness now. And so, so there you are in your, in your tiredness. But, but I wanted to think about that. The Bible nerd in me wanted to think about that from a God perspective, is that, that he, he could have, like, I imagine it like this, okay? You know your, your out-of-shape self? Does anybody know your out-of-shape self? Like, Sometimes your out-of-shape self reminisces about your in-shape self. Does anybody ever have this? Like, you know? Yeah, and, and here's Jesus for the, maybe the first time he's walked 20 miles. Yeah, that's how long it was from Judea to, to Sychar. And now he's tired. And he's like, you know, I remember when I was my God self. I, I, ne I, I, <laughs> I never was tired. Can you imagine if Jesus was like the average Frisco teenager? He'd be like, Dad. 
Why did I have to like be a human and have to walk from place? I could just like telepath because I'm God, teleport, not telepath. And, and you know, like, like all this walking and tired and like, what is this glisten in my, I don't want to sweat. Anyway, I just, that was the Bible nerd in me. I just wanted you to understand that he was God that became a man so that he could experience life like you do and yet show us how to do it right whereas we, because we're sinners, do it wrong. And so he was tired from the journey, and he sat down, and even though he was tired, oh, he had time for a conversation. And I think sometimes we might talk ourselves into allowing our tired to give us a pass on taking time for what God has for us in our lives. Man, if I could tell you something, there's never a time that I come up here and I preach, despite whatever day, week I've had, that I go away feeling less good about my life and about where I'm at because I'm in the center of His will doing what I, not because I'm not tired at times, not because there's not heaviness at times or whatever it, but because when you do what God wants for your life, it's amazing how you draw strength and sustenance that is impossible when you don't take time to have the conversations. I guarantee you there's people around you in your life that they need you to take time to have the conversation. It says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? because his disciples had gone into town to get food. Will you give me a drink? I want to let you know a little secret that every time God asks a question, that is an opportunity for you. Every question God asks is an opportunity for you. If you go back and, and read throughout the Bible, there's always a question being begged and asked from God and that question, it's kind of interesting. It's able to do two things simultaneously. The question always is going to present the problem and the solution. He's asking for a drink, even though he doesn't need the drink. And what we're going to find is there was something that we need. It, wasn't that he, it was something that he needs. And so that question was revealing that there was a problem and that he's trying to answer that problem by interacting in the question. In the Old Testament, he was talking to Isaiah one time, and, and it says that there was this council of angels, and they were talking, and, and God says, who will go forth, who will go and do my will? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. That was an opportunity, right? That question was an opportunity of availability. And so we have to answer that question, like, do we answer and say, when God asks, is there any, am I willing to be available? Whenever we read in Matthew, the feeding of the 5,000, that was an opportunity to believe God for the provision, right? He said, hey, look at this giant crowd. I'd like to feed them. And all the disciples were like, <laughs> well, it's going to be a lean Christmas this year, Jesus, because like all we got is a couple of fish and a couple of loaves of bread. How could we possibly feed all these people? And yet Jesus says, bring me what you do have. I'll bless it. And then he feeds everyone. And so the opportunity was there. Do you believe that I can provide? So every time he asks a question, he's not asking a question because he needs something. He's asking a question because we need something. And so today as we're asking the question 
of where you're at and what you're holding on to and what you brought with you today, what weight did you bring with you today, then maybe that question would not be something that just presents a problem for you. Maybe there's an answer on the other side of it that God is going to reveal to you throughout this message. As a matter of fact, when we look at this, as he asked this question, we find that the missing piece in her puzzle was the missing piece. Think about that for a moment. The missing piece was the missing piece. Hmm. I wonder if we ever struggle to find peace in our lives. By show of hands, anyone in here ever had a struggle with finding peace? Yeah. If you haven't gotten there, you will. 2020 didn't do it. <laughs> I don't, you're a saint. You're, you're above me at this juncture. I will tell you that. Struggle. Peace. God, what are you doing? What's going on? Where are we headed with this? It was a real struggle, and I think many of us have that struggle. And we're trying to identify what it is. And sometimes because of so many things going on and so much busyness and so much confusion, if we boil it all down right now, you'd have to ask yourself, do you have peace in the most in, inward part of your being, the God part, the eternal part. Do you have peace? Because if you don't, then it won't matter. It won't matter what else you have. It won't, it won't matter what else you, you get. You've got to struggle with that, and you've got to figure out where you get it and how you solve that problem. And the rest of this story is going to answer that very question. It says in verse 9 that the Samaritan woman said to him, so he asked for a drink. This is her reply. You are a Jew. Now, I don't recommend starting any conversation with someone's ethnicity, right? Like, you are Italian, right? Like, you know, it just, sometimes it doesn't come across the right way. Um, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? So right out of the gate, right? Right out of the gate, she's identifying a sociological barrier. She was saying, you were raised this way, and I was raised this way. Isn't it amazing that it transcends time that cultural barriers have existed that seek to divide humanity rather than unite humanity? And that we have to fight hard to get past what we were raised in. Because oftentimes there's some group that you might not identify with. And sometimes it's, it's culture, sometimes it's race, sometimes it's religion, sometimes it's socioeconomic. I know people that can't stand people that have money because they think that they're all a certain way. And I know some people that might look down upon people that don't have money because they've been used to having a certain way. And isn't it amazing how we start to like relegate ourselves to some kind of classism based upon some subdivided compartmentalization of, of the way that we think things should be. And here this woman right out of the gate was identifying a barrier to where God was trying to take her. And this morning, I want you to know that some of you are that person. God is trying to get a word to you, and right out of the gate, you're telling him why it isn't going to go well. And so how are you, being a Jewish person, asking me for a drink because Jews do not associate with Samaritans? So we get a barrier of culture. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, 
if you knew, and that's going to be a sermon point in just a moment, so you just put that in your pocket. If you knew the gift of God, here's the gift exchange. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, then you would have asked him and he would have given to you living water. Sir, the woman says, surely enlightenment is going to happen. If you are a parent, you should relate to this sermon. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with. You have no water pot, and the well is deep. Isn't that amazing? She's like, she's like you, 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 don't, you don't have one of these. She's like, I have one of these. You don't have one of these. How are you going to get the water because you're going to need one of these, and you clearly do not have one. So she says first there's a cultural divide. Now she's saying there's a physical barrier. She's saying there's, there's something that you need that you don't have in order to get the thing that you're promising. And so it's like, it'd be like someone walking in here and saying, like, oh, that sounds great, Tim. Oh, just the Jesus thing. And it, it would make everything go away. But how is Jesus going to beam down $10,000 into my bank account to solve my debt, right? <laughs> well, I'm coming for you today, all right? Don't you worry, buttercup. It's, it's, it's just right around the corner. So, yeah, I, I want the skeptic today. I, I want the hardened person who doesn't believe in it. I want you today. I, oh, I, oh I, the sermon is for you today. If you knew, he said, you would have asked and he would have given you living water. Sir, you don't have anything to draw with and the well is deep. Are you greater? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Because his ancestry drank from this well. Now, let me give this to you in a modern-day vernacular. Have you ever asked somebody a question and they always refer to someone as their, like, archetype slash, like, hero slash expert? Does anybody know someone like this? Like, every question ends with, like, well, my daddy used to say blah, 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 or my grandpa or my Uncle Sam or whoever, or some professor at some school, some book that they read, some YouTube channel they follow, some Instagram personality, and, like, it all revolves back to some, you know, person. And what's amazing here is that, that there was this guy named Jacob in the Old Testament and he was actually not a good dude. He was, he was a guy that was known as a swindler. He was always stealing from people. And, and when he was converted and he wrestled with God literally, it says that he, his name changed to Israel, which means God delivers. So isn't it interesting that she doesn't say, are you greater than my great, great, great grandfather, Israel, which means God's, no, no, no. It's even more insulting than that. She says, are you greater than my father, Jacob? Are you greater than a man who was a trickster, swindler, robber, unethical sinner? Are, are, are you, Jesus, greater than our best sinner? Hmm. Translate. Whenever you're thinking about how you interact and how you do things, are you using a sinner for your template or are you using Jesus? Do you do your marriage the way your parents did it? Because they're sinners. Or are you doing it the way that Jesus told you to do it? Are you doing business the way that your professor taught you to do it or your boss taught you to do it or are you doing business the way that Jesus taught you to do it? You see, 
if our reference point for how we interact in this world is a person, we're saying, Jesus, are you greater than Jacob? Jesus, are you better than my best sinner? Do you see how if we follow a person, that might lead us astray? Being it that we're all sinners, even the people that preach from this stage, sinners? We're not ever preaching, be like me. We're saying, be like Jesus. And so here this woman is saying that Jesus has a limitation that we'll get into in just a moment. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Are you greater than our father Jacob? Verse 13, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks from this well is going to be thirsty again. Oh, the repetitious pattern of going to the wrong place to try to satisfy our inward desires to have peace. Oh, where are we going to get that drink today? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Bam! So now, surely, she will have the epiphany because this is Jesus, right? This is Jesus, the teacher, the rabbi, the God-man who knows all. And surely that he's teaching it, she's going to get it because there, you can't be like Jesus and someone misunderstands you. You couldn't, you couldn't be a preacher and people like misconstrue you. And so surely she's gonna, like, it's going to sink in at this juncture. Verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming out here to draw water. Like, she can't get past it. You see what I'm saying? Like, if you keep holding on to this thing, this is how she was trying to define Jesus. She was trying to say, Jesus, how, how do I fit you into my day-to-day? -day? How, how do I fit you into my construct? And so this is a mistake. This is a mistake of Western Christianity. It's a narcissistic Christianity that is hijacked, co-opted Christianity that believes that God is a cosmic Coke machine, that we put our prayers like a little coin in the slot, and then we punch the button, and then we get out the little blessing that comes down there, and like we think that's Christianity. Like, God, how can you make my life better? Uh, how, can you, how can you help me with what I'm trying to do, God? I'd like to try to fit you. She's like, tell me about this living water. It means that I wouldn't have to work as hard. I don't want to have to keep coming out here. Some of you might have falsely believed, and I'm sorry to disappoint you, that when you accepted Jesus, that you would never have to work hard again that all your relationships would be without pain and suffering, that your children would grow up blessed, and they would honor you and just say, bless your father, bless your mother, that you would walk in and your boss would say, you know that raise that you've always wanted? I'm going to double it. Like that, that's what some people believe. She was trying to say, how can I take the blessing of God and just improve my life with it? Oh my gosh, don't exit the exchange without understanding the offer. If you're going to receive what God has for you, you're going to have to recalibrate your mind. How you're, how you're trying to take God's word. 
And whenever you begin to interact with his word, whenever you begin to recalibrate your mind, you're going to realize that, that Jesus is kind of flexing right here. Jesus is saying that you need to, you need to get on my level. Like, you're coming in here listening to his word on a weekly basis, and you're just trying to use it to make your life better. Is it your life that needs to be better, or do you want God's kingdom to be grown? Which one do you want? Which one is it for? Because at some point, Jesus is saying, get up. Look at your person next to you say, get up on my level. Let's just say it. Let's just say, it. say it with like some pizzazz. Say, get up on my level. Get up on my level. Like, think about it for a moment. Think about it for a moment. Like, he, he keeps saying things that are spiritual, and where does she keep going? She keeps going in the context of the physical. He's saying, I got some living water. She's like, you're a Jew. Why are you talking to me? He's like, yeah, but I could, I could fix the problems that you have. And she's like, oh, wait a minute. You don't have the net. She's trying to confine him to human restraints. Isn't it amazing how we can maybe miss the gift that God has for us because we predetermine what he can and can't do? Some of you, before you even pray, you've already decided, like, well, I, I know, God, that you can't do X. I know I'm going to have to get up and, and, and figure it out myself, but God, if you could just throw a little, if you could just throw a little blessing my way, is that what the Bible says? Because I read it over there. It says that to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly, more than I could ever ask or imagine. Like, do you start your prayers with that? Or have you predefined what is possible? You're looking at God saying, you need what I need to get what I'm trying to get. He's like, I don't need on my level, I don't need what you have to get what you have. You know what God's perspective is? God's perspective is this, I made it all. And if I want it, I can make it again. I own it all. There's nothing that I'm in need of. So which kind of God are you praying to? God, make my life better? Or God, take my life? It's yours. Well, that's a very different Christianity. You'd probably get to a very different result. That you would understand that most of the people in the Bible that said yes to Jesus, there was sacrifice. And indeed suffering. So if you want a Jesus that just makes your life better... You better read the Bible. Because if you say yes to laying this down, the life that he's going to give you, it'll cost you something. You want to be available to have those conversations? It's going to cost you some time. You want to serve in his kingdom, his cause? It's going to cost you some money. But I think that that life is worth it. Because I think his kingdom is bigger He's not trying to fix your day-to-day. -day. He's trying to fix your everyday. And if you'll let him fix your everyday, that lasts into the long game of eternity. So quit praying to God to make your day better. Instead, why don't you pray that he makes you better? That on the inside, he changes you. And as your perspective begins to shift, and now every day is a blessing from him. And you're going to serve him and give up and sacrifice whatever it is because you're living for the long game of eternity. She was struggling trying to fit Jesus in a human context. And he pivots and he says, if you only knew, right? Isn't that awesome? 
Isn't that like an awesome, abstract, catch-all statement for God? If you only knew, if you only knew who I am, if you only knew what I can do, if you only knew that you keep coming out here, filling up your water pot every day just to come out here again and have to fill it up every day, you keep going to work every Monday and you keep going back every Tuesday and, every, and you keep thinking that that paycheck is going to buy you peace. Oh, isn't that great? Isn't that working out for you? If you could just arrive, that you would have peace, but, but you have and you don't have. And so here we are trying to figure out if you only knew. I wonder if a person was sitting here today and they were thirsty, if I could tell you if you only knew how good he is. If you only knew how God he is. If you only knew how much grace he has for any guilt and shame you might currently be carrying if you only knew how forgiving he is for every time that you make mistakes and you walk away and you start getting busy with your own life and you forget about him and you leave him, how he's always long-suffering, ready for you to return. Oh, man, if you only knew that one drink from the right well could change everything for the rest of your life. Man, I hope today... Some of you might ponder that proposition and ask yourself, oh, do you know? Do you know how good he is? Conversation pivots in a weird, awkward, hardshift way. So he tells her, go and call your husband and then come back. She says, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. Now, I want to tell you all a little funny thing about marriage. And I heard a comedian commentate on this one time. And I think this is absolutely true. Um, be careful whenever your spouse starts agreeing with you in an argument. Anybody, has anybody ever had this experience where someone like pivots in the midst of an argument or a fight and starts saying, oh, yeah, 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 you're right. Oh, you're right. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Oh, yeah. I don't even know why I even bring up my opinion because you're so right. You ever get in one, just run. You need to leave the house a couple of hours. Come back. Death is in the cards, okay? And you got to run, all right? Here is God agreeing, okay? You're having an argument with God. If God ever was like, oh, yeah, 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 you're right. You're right. You have no husband. You're right. True statement. True statement. Half true because you've had five husbands, and the one you have right now is not your own. Hmm. Now, I want to tell you all something. Every now and then, I, I still study the Bible like you do, and I want you to know something. As I was preparing for this message, I realized I got this wrong. Like, I've been preaching this for 30 years, and I got it wrong. Sometimes we make a bias of our, our own culture, and we imply that the people in the Bible are experiencing culture the way that we are experiencing culture, and that's not true. So you have to go back to the culture that they were in in order to understand the context clearly. In their culture, a, a man could divorce a woman. 
But a woman, it was almost impossible for her to divorce a man. So my whole life I've heard this preached, like this woman was some terrible person that she had gone through five marriages. I submit to you, that's wrong. She had been left by five men. Yeah. Did you know that pain will either prevent you or it will propel you to what God has for you? It all depends on what you do with the pain. It'll either prevent or propel. Here was this woman. She had gone through five relationships, five marriages, and she had been rejected by everyone. Can you imagine what her self-worth was at this moment? Can you imagine? I can, I can just imagine that she's in her mind. She's saying, I'm not, I, I guess I'm not worthy. I just feel rejected. And you can start going down some roads, right? Where pain is constantly pushing people. It's pushing you towards a destination. And I submit to you, I believe you got three options. You can turn inward. You can turn inward and whenever pain is pushing you and you turn inward, I'm going to tell you, you start saying things like, I guess I just have to try harder. That's what it is. If I just try harder, I can get past this hurt. If I just try harder, next time it'll be different. And then what happens when you realize that the the demons you're struggling with, they're stronger than you. Do you know the type of darkness? Do you know where that, that train starts to go? Starts, go? starts going down a dark road of like, is it worth it anymore? Because you realize you're not enough. When it comes to that struggle that's inward, how, do I, how can I with confidence say that your demons are stronger than you. Easy. I'll let you decide. The thing that you hate the most about yourself, the thing you struggle with the most, the thing that you would change in an instant if you could. If you're strong enough, why haven't you changed it yet? Man, turning inward, not going to solve that problem. Some people that don't turn inward, they turn outward. And they say to themselves, there's a person out there. There's a, there's a place out there. There's a substance out there. And they're going to say that there's something physical that can satisfy this brokenness that's inside of me. And you have to be careful as that pain is pushing you from past relationships that, that you have to understand where does, where does hurt, where does that lead? Hurt leads to hate. And hate leads to a darkness that's in our heart. And then hurt will cause these barriers to begin to exist. And I'm looking through the lens of pain. And now I'm judging and predefining every person that I come in contact with next based upon a past relationship. Some of you are making the people in your life currently pay for the pain that someone caused you in your past. I know people that are in marriages that they still have their guard up and they still have hate that is inside of there. And they believe somehow they can compartmentalize and say, I can hate over here, but then 
then I can love over there. And that's a mistake that God says that love and hate can't occupy the same heart. Heart is like, or hate is like a cancer in your heart. It will begin to take over every area of your life and the tentacles go out. And now all of a sudden, when you've turned outward and you realize, well, that person, they disappointed me. That person, they let me down. Because you're making that person in charge of your happiness and you're actually trying to make them God. You're putting them in the place that God is supposed to be. Just like he was, she was saying, are you greater than Jacob? You're trying to say that your spouse needs to be God, that they need to make you whole, that they need to make you happy. Jesus is arguing for a different standard. He's saying that if, if you keep going down that road, you're going to get to the end of it. It's destined for disappointment. That no person will ever satisfy you because we're broken. And terrible thoughts start to creep in and, and we start to say things like this. I'll never trust again. I'll, you can't trust anyone. I'll never love again. Because my love got betrayed, it got, I'll never, I'll never put myself out there. If you were in a church and something bad happened, isn't it amazing like you carry that into the next church and you say, oh, I'm just going to be one of those people that sit in the seat, but I don't want to, I've seen, I've seen behind the curtain, I've had them say it to me, I've seen behind, I know, yeah, there's drama in church. There's sinners, I'm a sinner, we're all sinners, wouldn't you like to be a sinner too, okay? That's the way that it is but you're now gonna not take the time to have a conversation, not take the time to serve, not take the time to be a neighbor, to be able to extend the grace of God and the only eternal life-giving message of the gospel of Jesus Christ because some hurt that happened in the past. And if you turn outward, that's where you end up. Everyone is disappointment and you're a jaded person that has a skeptical eye in every relationship. I wonder if there's any thirsty people in the room. You can't turn inward. You can't turn out. Where do you turn, Tim? Upward. That's where you turn. Upward. He said, if you would just lay this down, what I'm going to give you is so much better. But you're wrestling with it this morning, aren't you? You're wrestling with it. But Tim, I can control this. Can you? Can you? You put your prayer into this. Did it answer? You put your faith in people. Did they answer? The inmost part of you. Did they answer? Did they give you the thing that you thought? Did the money get you there? Did the drug get you? Did any of that, did it get you there? Did it keep you there? You can go out and find temporary satisfaction for a moment, but you won't find it for eternity. That's only in Jesus Christ. Look at the last verse and we'll close. It says that then leaving her water jug, her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Because this, could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. The exchange occurs when I lay this down. Isn't that awesome? I want you to think about that. She came out there, and this was like her trophy. This was everything. This was like, 
I got to make it through one more day, Tim, and I, I need this to make it through one more day. And then the thing that she thought she needed, oh, I'm going to preach. The thing that she thought she needed was the water, right? That's why she was out there. The thing that she thought she needed is what she left there. Think about that for a moment. Like you came to church today and here's the crazy thing. You thought you needed to be here to make your day-to-day better. And then if you come in contact with Jesus, what you'll find is the thing that you think is important, it's really not important at all. And when you come in contact with him and you make your life about him, you start walking away from these things that have actually been your anchors. These have been your chains. This is in the prison that you built for yourself. And now you walk away from that. You say, I don't even need that anymore. That's not even, I know I came here for that. That's not even what I even needed. God knew what I needed on the inside, that the missing piece was peace. And I've and trying to find it in all the wrong places. And today, in the name of Jesus, only Jesus can satisfy the deepest hurts that are in your heart. Only he can heal the brokenness that is inside of you. Only he can fix the thing that has been holding you back. Now we come to the moment where you get to make a decision. Is exchange going to occur today? Is there something that you're going to let go of? in order to pick up the life that he has for you. I bet all of us have something that we're holding on to. We're clutching it with white knuckles saying, Tim, I've just learned to depend on me for salt. Yeah, but you're not winning. You're not winning. Your family's not winning. Here this woman is that we would say, was so broken and has experienced so much pain. But she probably led more people to Jesus with one sermon, with two sentences, than most of us ever have. Isn't that amazing? That you somehow think that because you've gone through a bunch of life that you're disqualified? Here's a woman that's been through as much life as anybody And Jesus sends her out to be his preacher. My gosh, she changed the entire town with her story of redemption. Here's a man that told me what? How good I am? How awesome I did? How fast I could run? How high I could jump? How I made the varsity? No, he told me I'd gone through a lot of brokenness and a lot of sin, and he loved me anyway. Isn't it amazing how that message is so powerful that it pulls everyone in because all of us have some pain in there. And you may hide it from all of us, but between you and God, it's pushing you. And either today you'll hold on to it and it'll prevent you from finding peace or it'll propel you and your hands will go up as your knees hit the floor and you turn your face upward, and for the first time in your life, maybe, you find something that satisfies inside and will make everything different outside. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask that you come into this moment of worship and that you change lives. That the skeptic has wrestled and is ready to surrender. God, I pray today for those that are in pain, 
a pain that has been a passenger with them all of their life. And they've already just resigned themselves that, that I just have to have that. I just have to keep that. And oddly enough, somehow it's, it's what's familiar. And God says to you today, no, that's a lie. You don't have to carry that. If you'll let it go, he says, I'll give you something better. I'll give you something that it won't run out. It won't go away. It won't expire. It won't disappoint. It won't break your heart. It'll be there when no one else will. Man, I hope today there's some people that are letting some stuff go. And as we worship, church, would you stand up with us? There's a song that we're going to sing. It says, Graves in the Gardens. Man, I hope today that there's some graves that are going to be turned into gardens. Man, isn't that good? I hope today that's your message, that you remember back to this day was the day that you let it go, that you let it go, that you let God in, that you took a hold of the life that he's promised you and your family. And it doesn't matter what you've been every day before this day, because from this day forward, you are new in Christ. You are washed white as snow. Your grace that God has is covering every sin that you've ever committed. And you don't have to define yourself by your worst moment. He says, I already know what you've done, but I still have a gift for you to unwrap this Sunday morning. And the church said,